Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and I am thrilled to share the studio today with Josh Stanley. Josh is CEO and managing partner at Cartwheel. And he's also a serial entrepreneur. So Cartwheel is a Bentonville-based startup studio. And among uh, other ongoing concerns, Josh is also co-founder of both Hashku and Pushkin. And he's an investor and advisor and former president of RevUnit. Notably, all three of these are Bentonville-based tech companies as well. Josh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to to hang out with you, man. Uh, Man, always. Well, hey, let's get started by getting to know you. Will you tell our listeners what they should know about Josh Stanley? And if you will, come up short of co-founding of co-founding Cartwheel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think if I were to share my professional part first or my professional journey, just the the get to know me, there's kind of the pre-entrepreneurial journey and the post-entrepreneurial journey. And Mm -hmm. I'd say pre-entrepreneurial came up in product and project management. So working in tech, but Mm -hmm. in that kind of translation layer, if you will. And then doing that at backcountry.com, at 1-800-CONTACTS, at Zappos, at Vegas. So I had that kind of e-commerce centric tech product and project management leadership background. And then there was like a conversion moment. I'm, I'm the person that sold candy, you know, in middle school, sold the you know, airheads and blow pops and whatever oh, I could, sure. to, to make a dime, I guess, on the side. And so I've always had that kind of entrepreneurial mindset, like what could I be doing to, to earn my way through life? And so, yeah, I, I I think I put a lot of things in front of me just to speak to the conversion moment. Like I put a lot of hurdles in front of me before I could make that leap. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I need an MBA or I need to be a double major. And like I, which I went and did all those things and then still didn't feel comfortable, but right. eventually kind of made that leap. Instead of trying to find the perfect business, I just decided, hey, I should, I should do what I'm good at, which is kind of just doing my job, product and project. And I did that through it as an independent contractor convinced some people from Zappos to come join me. And we formed our first software development firm called Teamwork out of Las Vegas. So that was like the beginning of the, you know, the entrepreneurial journey for me. And then we did that for two years. We were successful. We got to about a million and a half annual revenue run rate. And then RevUnit came on our radar. There's a, maybe a serendipitous interaction type story there. Mm -hmm. Like somebody, they had an office in Vegas, a very small office. They were looking at the space next to our office. And then uh, Seth Waite was the guy. He was like their chief growth officer at the time, I think. He walked in, we met, we talked. And then that was kind of the beginning of us getting to know Joe Samweber and Michael Palladino. And then they acquired Teamwork uh, in 2017. And along the way, I also did another startup with a friend we met through Teamwork who just, he had a product and he just needed help. Like he needed a team around him. Mm -hmm. So we gave him some funding, used some of our teamwork funding 
to fund him and, and we built a team around him and we ended up exiting that. That was a B2B SaaS company in the independent retailer space. We exited that in 2020. So I, I kind of had these two entrepreneurial events early on. And then, I, yeah, I went on to lead RevUnit, saw RevUnit through its private equity transaction in 2019. Nice. So that was its own learning journey, going through the management meetings and that whole, that whole cycle that you go through when you're uh-huh. uh, you know, going through an exit of some kind or a liquidity event. So yeah, I mean, that's some of my professional journey leading up to Cartwheel. We can talk about Cartwheel too, I assume at some point. But I think too, the thing I've been, I'm on a mission this year to share more of my personal journey. So I'll, I'll you know, when you say yeah, like, please. what is it you need to know about me to get to know me? It's like, I care deeply about sharing the traumas I went through as a, as a kid and how that's influenced me. And I've kind of spent the last decade unpacking childhood trauma, childhood abuse, mm. like what, like going through from pretty much the ages six to 11 of being in constant high anxiety in my house, mm-hmm. always on alert, always waiting, you know, kind of in protection mode. And I've been on this journey in the last decade and there's a lot, you know, there's a big story to unpack and I'm, I don't know how far or how far down that rabbit hole you want to go, but the point I'm trying to make here really is that through that, those events in my childhood, I've really been kind of assessing in the last decade, working through it, processing it and learning about myself, what, what coping mechanisms I picked up as a result of those things that are, you know, what, what part of me is me and what part of me is a result of this abuse. And then along the way, I've also kind of seen some of those impacts. Some of those coping, coping mechanisms are part of why I feel successful today. I don't Mm-hmm. You know, that's a statement of belief, really. I, I believe that I, there are things that I've learned or some of those like hypervigilance. I, I'm always on alert. Sounds some, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, a startup, you kind of always have to be on alert. You're always looking at all the different things that are coming at you. So there's some of these things I've kind of been assessing in the last decade, trying to figure out like what I want to keep, what has served me as a kid, but doesn't serve me now very well. And then what, you know, kind of the balance of those two things. And the other thing I, I want to call out too is just to say it, yeah, I want, I want there to be an example in, out there. I don't have, there's not a lot of examples that I can look to of people who have been through what I've been through yeah. that have gone on to achieve certain, certain professional achievements. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate that as some sort of version of success because I think there's many versions of success out there, but like, I, there's not a lot of people I interact with at a certain high achieving level that share what they've been through or share who they are. And I've personally gone through a journey of like, I'm scared to say it out loud a lot of times. And I've went, it took me more the majority of my life to get to a place where I could share what happened to me in a way that helps other people. And so I'm trying this year, working really hard on working through how to share that in a way that hopefully gives somebody who has gone through something similar um, a story to learn from or a story mm-hmm. to pull from because I've done that. I've, I've pulled from stories that I found that aren't people close to me, but anyway, so I'm trying to open up that door to make that available. Cause it is my whole self. My whole self includes like the traumas I've been through. Yeah. I understand that is a scary thing to, to share. Um, boy, I mean, I'm hearing some things that maybe I need to make a list of coping versus who I am, mm. <laughs> coping <laughs> mechanisms versus who I am. And, and, and you're right because, you can point to coping mechanisms and say, that helped me be successful. But the question is, does continuing to use it or using it for everything right. help you, you be successful? And yeah. 
probably unlikely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things like that hypervigilance example mm-hmm. I give. Like I am always on when it comes to work because my brain, I used to think yeah. it was ADD or ADHD. And it's really, I, I've, I think I've come to the conclusion for myself that it's more tied to this kind of high, lower level yeah. anxiety I, I lived with as a kid. And I'm kind of staying in that state today. And yeah, there's good parts about that. From nine to five or, you know, whenever work is right, yeah. that's a perfectly fine thing for me. And I use it as a superpower kind of. But past five o'clock when I'm at home, if I'm still running, uh-huh. you know, and still analyzing all the angles and looking out, you know, looking on the lookout for the trouble spots and I'm not present, I'm not there for my kids, I'm not there for my wife, like that's when it becomes a detriment to my life mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, a superpower. And, and a lot of things, I, I, it feels like everything I've kind of come across, I've been like, oh, there's a place for this. There's a place where this adds value. But there's all, it, it also can get out of hand if I don't put up boundaries around it. That's right. That's really good. Sorry, I totally derailed us. No, no, like that's, this. This, this is really uh, good stuff. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who, who struggle with this that will hear this yeah. and, and fully understand what you're saying and yeah. might give them some opportunities. I mean, just what you've given here, these, op- these couple of questions you've asked yourself mm. uh, will give folks the opportunity to reflect and then decide... What is it that they're going to uh, do about it? And yeah, do yeah. they need professional help to help with it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a big believer in anybody and everybody going through therapy. Um, I mean, I've used therapy, group therapy. I've used a lot of different tools to get to a place where I feel like I'm making progress mm-hmm. in, in the different roles that I have to play in my life, like the husband, the father, the entrepreneur, yeah. the, the leader, et cetera. Um, like it's helped in all aspects. Like there isn't a place where it hasn't helped. But one of the things I've benefited from is other people's stories of trauma. And even if they're not exactly mine, even if they're not my story, there's something I learned from it. Like I just finished a book called What My Bones Know. Um, it's, a, it's a memoir, essentially, of somebody uh, mm. who had gone through family trauma at a young age. And it was like, it wasn't my, it wasn't my experience, but I learned so much from that book, from the way it was shared by the author. And I was like, oh yeah, like I should share my, I need to find a way that I'm, comfortably Mm -hmm. uh, able to share my story so that if there's someone who, I mean, one of, uh, depending on what stat you look at, and there's a bunch of different stats on this out there, anywhere between one in four and one in six uh, people have gone through some sort of childhood uh, sexual molestation or some kind of abuse. Like that's a pretty high stat. So like if the majority of people around us have gone, well, not the majority, but a a significant amount of people around us have, have gone through something, but we're not talking about it. We're not sharing like, Hey, you, you can have a fulfilling life. I'm not, I'm not done with my trauma. I'm not, I don't think there is a done state for anybody, but I am still working on it, but I've made a lot of progress and I I would like to open that conversation up so that other people who maybe are in my position or looking, looking around and seeing other people in higher positions and saying like, I'm not seeing anybody in, in a position of power or a position of influence saying that they've gone through these things. So does that doom me? Am I never? That's, that's not, I'm broken and I'm not going to be able to have that path. That's not an option for me. And I, I want to like open that door to say, no, there, this is an option for you. Entrepreneurship's an, uh, entrepreneurship's an option for you. Leadership, you know, high level positions in big mm-hmm. organizations and leadership in those positions are options for you. Like it doesn't doom you. You are not broken. It just, it just means there are things to be worked through. That's right. I mean, this is not only courageous to tell this, but it's, it is leadership, what you're mm-hmm. doing. And, and telling the story and sharing with others. So, 
you know, hopefully some folks out in the audience are, are going to take this and, and work with it and help themselves out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, a couple of years ago, shortly after I arrived here in Bentonville, I met this guy at uh, One Million Cups, and I think it was Jeff Amarine or maybe Chandler Ablett, Abbott that introduced me to him. And uh, he told me all about the startup studio. <laughs> okay, it was you. Uh, and I think Chris Coy may have been there, but you're telling me all about the startup studio that that you were going to, or or better yet, that you were definitely going to to build. That's the sense that I got that you would figure out how to do it. You would figure out how to get it funded. So will you pick up the story from there and talk about Cartwheel and yeah. the problem that you saw in the marketplace? Yep. And what is it that you're doing about it? Yeah. So I think just to maybe take one step back, like maybe yeah. five plus years ago, this is probably 2018, I got a chance and I was interested in venture studios, startup studios and that evolving model. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was even even earlier stage, even more nascent five, six years ago got the chance to go out and meet um, or spend a week during the sprint week at High Alpha in Indianapolis. Nice. With, and I met Christian Anderson, who's, I think, is from this region, well-connected in Arkansas, uh, especially in, in the capital region, maybe less so in Northwest Arkansas, but got to spend a week up at High Alpha. They are a venture studio, and we could talk about the difference mm-hmm. between startup studio and venture studio. But like, I walked out of that experience saying like, oh yeah, this this is it. Like, this is... There is an approach here to startup that makes a lot of sense to me. And this is on the back of having done my own agency startup and my own SaaS startup and kind of learning what I liked and disliked about mm-hmm. that process. So I was like, oh, this is the right approach. So it started there. And then, yeah, moving here to the region as when I was president of Rev Unit, it was, you know, I was spending so much time flying out here. I love the region, convinced my, you know, brought my family out, convinced them to kind of make the leap of faith from Vegas to Bentonville. Sure. Uh, and our, it, it helped that our kids were at an older age where it's like, you can just get into, you can imagine the trouble you can get into in yeah. Vegas and the trouble you can get into Bentonville. They're different. There's a different scope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was part of it. We moved here and yeah, I like quickly kind of picked up that there's a great entrepreneurial ecosystem here. There's a lot of support in that system. It's a very flat, a flat community in the sense yeah. of like, you can kind of access anybody here. Like there isn't like this hierarchy or there isn't a, a barrier to entry, if you will, into having a meaningful impact in the community. That's right. And I think that, and then not seeing anything like a startup studio here and knowing, like I have a belief that this region could use new co-generation. Like we need top of the funnel startup to get to a place where we can drive knowledge worker growth, like mm-hmm. the kind that Heartland Ford talks about in their reports and the, the importance of it to drive a healthy economy. Like to get there, we need more startups. Um, That's right. Chris uses the analogy and has used it in the past that I love. It's like we have, you know, there's Journey and uh, maybe the Rolling Stones. We have these like big bands on our, on our headliner, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Walmart and J.B. Hunt and Tyson, right? Like you got these big bands that everybody knows. That's right. We're not filling up the rest of the card. Like, where's the opening acts? Yeah. And, and where's the, you know, the act that's like on the verge of breaking in and being the next big act? Like, we need to generate more startups here and attract more. St- you know, it's, it's a combination that's of right. an aggregation and amalgamation of all these different efforts that can drive that system to its next state, to its next stage. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it gotten to me that it was a need that I could solve, that I felt compelled 
to lead out on. And then, yeah, Chris, Chris, who co-founded Teamwork with me, that agency agreed to kind of jump on this next train with me. And we, we got going on Cartwheel and, you know, we went out for, into the private market and we heard from the private market, from the VC fund of funds, from those groups that, hey, you know, why am I investing in the middle of America? Like what's, the reality is they don't want to put dollars in the flyover states. Mm-hmm. And now we have plenty of VCs that'll come and visit and talk about putting dollars. And yes, you'll see some investments, but there's nobody really, we're on the scale of what actually drives change. Like it's not enough yet. That's right. And so just to say it, like that felt like a, a missing piece too. And like trying to help solve there is, is still a need. It's still a thing we need to solve for today. But yeah, there, there was a need to do something here at the earliest stage. We went out to go raise, um, weren't hearing good feedback. And luckily, I mean, we didn't spend that, that long on the fundraising trail before Walmart, or sorry, not Walmart, Walton Family Foundation agreed to kind of come in and help us pilot the program. So we're mm-hmm. currently backed by Walton Family Foundation and Winrock International. And through that, that kind of partnership of us, Winrock and Walton Family Foundation, we've been able to, to get this pilot program launched. We've launched two companies in the last year and kind of off and running. That's very cool. You're right. We need a full ecosystem, right? Starting the most nascent companies through getting them through that startup phase, getting them out launched, getting them scaling. But we also need to recruit in the ecosystem. And the neat part is, you know, you have companies that come along and, and you know, take RevUnit, for example. There will be derivatives of that company, right? Oh, yeah. People who come out of that company and start companies. Same with Movista, same yeah, with yeah. Acre Trader and Supply Pike. And we could make a whole list of these and we could already identify, you know, some of these companies that have formed as a result. Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, some companies will just flat out fail. And that's success too, because those folks will then likely found companies. And when it's 2.7 plus times to success. Yeah. You've got to have those failures under your belt to yeah. get there. It just is what it is. Yeah, we're not going to bat a thousand out no. here as a as a as a community anywhere. or anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, and, and those failures produce lessons that get integrated into the next attempt, right? Absolutely. And, and next thing you know, you've got this thriving community. Will you? Uh, it, it, by the way, I, I too uh, a few years ago looked at the venture studio model. I was in Memphis at the time and okay. uh, one of the folks I was working with and some of the projects we were looking at, we were thinking about the venture studio model. We never really got much past thinking about it and talking <laughs> with some folks. We actually didn't find the support that we needed. Mm. And, and you know, I, when I say we didn't find the support we needed, we didn't go about it the right way, I don't think. And that's why <laughs> we didn't find the support on top of probably weren't in the right place at that time. Mm. And so I really love this model. But will you, uh, that and the Startup Studio model, mm. for those in the audience who aren't familiar, right. can you talk about how this is a different model from other ways you might start a business? Or or to reframe the question, it's what is Cartwheel's methodology? And talk about what the difference between a venture studio and a startup studio is. Yeah, and I think the language or the lexicon in the space is confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, every, you see the word studio attached to a lot of yeah. a lot of different things. So I would say we often get compared to an incubator or an accelerator, yep. and we are not. We are not an incubator. We are not acceler- an accelerator. Kind of an evolution of, of those two things in some capacity, but the idea being that we have our own processes to facilitate ideation. So creating, like, let's go out 
usually a startup studio will pick a thesis. So we mm-hmm. started from a frontline worker perspective. We believe there was a unique advantage in the frontline worker space and this region, the combination of those, the major retailer, major transportation company, major food producer, like there's a lot of frontline workers attached to that, mm-hmm. to those companies. And this, honestly, this region has kind of a, it has a global reach because of that, because people go, you know, VPs at Walmart will go leave and become C-level employees That's at Lowe's right. and Walmart and Kroger or uh, Lowe's and Home Depot and Kroger and other, other kind of retailers. So you have this reach that comes out of this region that impacts lots of retail, impacts lots of TNL, impacts lots of food manufacturing. So yeah, we, we started with the thesis of frontline worker. We ideated in that space or we ideate in the mm-hmm. beginning. Then we worked through a series of validations or tests, experiments, like doing market research, competitive analysis, like the whole intent of a startup studio really is to pull forward that 90% fail rate that everybody's familiar with mm-hmm. when they talk about startups. So what's, you know, 90% of startups fail. How do you pull that forward so that it, there's, you can pull the failure forward before there's real heavy time, money, and resources attached to the that's concept? Right. So that's what we're trying to do. Yes, there's time, money, and resources in validating the concepts, but the hope is before anybody dedicates their livelihood to the business, we've gone through and validated that there's a concept worth investing in at, at a higher level. So we, on average, take about 10 concepts through this gauntlet, if you will, mm-hmm. of, of validation. And on the other side, you have one to three concepts that survive, and then you pick one to kind of focus on the best, the one that has the highest probability of success. Focus on that one. We go and we actually source a co-founder CEO. So we look for somebody who has a unique right to win in that you know, sector, maybe it's in the idea, maybe their network gives them an advantage, whatever it might be. There's lots of ways to look at, you know, how an individual can accelerate a business. But we do that kind of validating and vetting also. We then attach that co-founder CEO to the business and then we help it, we get the business formed and funded. So we facilitate funding. Here's where what we're doing today is maybe different from a lot of, most startup studios. Most startup studios at least have a pre-seed fund, meaning that they have the funding in in the organizational structure to give the new co some initial funding anywhere from let's say 150k to a million Mm -hmm. is what you're seeing out there right now on the startup studio model like so like a high alpha might give a a new co they've created through that same process or you know a version of that same process they'll give them a million dollars as pre-seed funding Um, today we have to go facilitate the funding so we don't have that fund in-house we facilitate the startup pre-seed fund and help that new co get funded before it kind of gets off the ground. In the future, mm-hmm. we want that fund to be in-house so that we don't have to wait for that, that stage, that, that extra step to happen. But yeah, startup studios all look like some version of what I just described. Yeah. Um, there's in-house validation. Can you take an outside idea? Yes. Will they? Yes. You kind of have to accept the terms and the kind of economics of the startup studio. So that doesn't always map well with a... Just, just call it the archetype of an entrepreneur. And I right. think most, in most, most people's minds, it's a 20-something college kid who's maybe a savant in technology or something who goes and creates, you know, it's the social network Mark Zuckerberg story in everybody's head. Mm-hmm. So, but in reality, like, that's not what most entrepreneurs look like. But yeah, the traditional kind of entrepreneur might not fit our model because of how we work. We like and unlock, I think, a new type of entrepreneur and I say a new type in that the type has already existed. So we tend to look for middle management 
at large organizations, somebody with an entrepreneurial mindset. And we want to attach that person who's had years of experience managing teams, who has subject matter expertise that aligns to the business, who has an established network, who's been through, you know, the grind a little bit, the grind of life, the grind of professional life and personal life. Like that individual is a better fit for the startup studio because they've been through things and we're, and also they tend to be kind of golden handcuffed by mm-hmm. their, by their life situation. Like they have kids, a house, mortgages, rent, do, you know, all the things that you accumulate that then become burdens in some capacity, but also prevent you from taking that leap of faith because the, on average, a, a startup founder spends 24 months without a salary. Yeah. So 24 months without a salary in your prime earning years is very difficult to pull off. So that's why I say we're unlocking a new entrepreneur because this model does, because it's not, it's not looking for that traditional, you know, archetype of an entrepreneur. It's looking for that, that person who doesn't feel like they can do it anymore, but actually can like you, because in our model, you do get a salary on day one. So it's different in that aspect too. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's, that's, this is really good. This is really good because I'm hearing a couple of things here. One is you eliminate the need that accelerators and incubators often have to just teach somebody how to even start a business. And I mean, from this, from the very beginning, absolutely everything about yeah. starting a business who then oftentimes, because they're in their twenties, no, no fault of their own, just don't have life experiences, don't have business experience, don't have that knowledge that you just gain by yeah. through experience. And what you said a moment ago really resonated with me because the, you know, the data shows that the, the uh, average successful entrepreneur is actually in their 40s. Yes. Right. Uh, and it is because they have these life experiences and this business experience and they have the knowledge it takes, especially in their industries, to operationalize a business. Right. Which is what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I... <laughs> I, I I would say that I um, did a couple of startups, probably closer to my prime earning years, and <laughs> paid dearly financially for it, and could not do it again a, as a result. And so I understood exactly uh, what you're talking about there. Will you talk about some of your successes so far? You have formed a couple of companies. Yeah, yeah. So we launched Pushkin. That was the first company out of the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, co-founder CEO is Amanda Earhart. Uh, she's tremendous. We got like just a needle in the haystack, diamond in the rough, like insert your favorite idiom or whatever, Maxim, whatever. You know, it's like this person was former eBay pre-IPO, former Facebook pre-IPO, female tech founder. Yeah. Like, I mean, just kind of a unicorn of all kinds. Uh, tremendous leader, tremendous individual, fun to be around. Like, so that was, Pushkin was a lot of fun to work on with Amanda. She came in and made that, she took, I like to say, we had a startup concept until she came in and she made it a business. Oh, that's great. And that's true. And, and as often running, we were able, again, as I mentioned, we don't provide the funding, but we were able to help facilitate a pre-seed round of 740,000. We actually set out to raise 500. So we oversubscribed, which was tremendous. It was earlier in the year before kind of this downturn we've had economically. And I, I think even the slowdown on VC funding that we've all seen so it was in a good time of year too. But yeah, that's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. I love Amanda and I love the team that, that she's rallied around her. And then we also launched, or are, we just launched, yes, last year, but it wasn't that long ago, sure. um, Hashku, which is 
our first breakaway away from frontline work. And it may seem like an early, an early step. We only got one company in before we broke away, but it was such a tremendous opportunity. We got so excited about what's possible in Web3. And I think this region in particular, I mean, I could ramble about like the metaverse, Web3, NFT, smart contracts, cryptocurrency, blockchain for a long time. And there's a lot of, we were big skeptics for all the reasons there are to be skeptical about those, those topics and that, that kind of technological transformation and where we are in that life cycle. But there's so much potential there. And I think this region in particular has an outsized advantage there. So we launched a company called Hashku, which helps brands and really brand marketers kind of plan, build, manage digital goods and digital experiences. So we kind of break it down to that. We stop using all the, the lingo yeah. of, of NFTs and everything. It's like your digital goods are a thing. Like digital goods have been a thing for a long time. There's just a new way to execute them now that makes them more transportable, portable. And it has all the benefits of the blockchain, immutable, provenance. Like there's all these different words that you hear being used, but really it's like you're allowing a consumer to, to take a digital good. And now it doesn't have to like only live inside the silo of the brand that created it. It can go outside that silo. I can tra- we can transfer it. And there's just a ton of opportunity there. We're seeing an amazing amount of brands entering the space. And we found an amazing co-founder CEO in Joel Ponce, who's former Paramount director of sales. So he, we had a tech, fa- tech co-founder on the first company. This is a sales co-founder. And those are the two buckets we like to sit Solid. in when it comes to co-founding. Like mm-hmm. the hardest part of a startup, honestly, is the sales. So like you and, and the technology getting it stood up. So for us, that's a, a, a focus. Like we want co-founders who are either strong in sales or strong in tech kind of let out on those two fronts with both companies. And we got lucky too. They're both underrepresented groups. Like Joel's parents came from Honduras. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a exciting thing to be able to help, you know, an underrepresented co-founder CEO launch in both cases. It's not, it's not a flag we're flying, but we care deeply about, you know, bridging the gap that, that does exist. Out yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand that. Well, that's, that's really cool that you've had these two successes right out of the gate. I, I, I too think this, area is really primed to make great Web3 companies. I I think one of the challenges you probably have, and I'm just guessing here, one of the challenges you probably have on the coast, especially in the Bay Area, is, you know, especially with the newest technologies or the newest thing that's starting to move, is there's so much capital available in the marketplace and so many investors with FOMO yep. that it makes it really easy for companies that maybe wouldn't be companies anywhere else yeah. to become companies there. Whereas here, people are going to step back and go, wait a minute. First, do I believe Web3 is a thing? Yeah. And second, do I believe that's a thing? And so you're going through a little higher bar here and yeah. you can build more reasonable companies. Yeah, I think we, because of our lack of, of access to pre-seed. So a mm-hmm. lot of people talk about funding and the gap that exists here. And yeah. I've already mentioned it in this, in this chat, yeah. but like the gap really exists in the earliest stage. That's right. It's not hard for a company that's established that has a track record of, you know, high sales growth, traction, high margin, like all the things that VCs are looking for. Are they going to have a problem raising here? No. Like, that's right. I mean, they can get checks from they'll get checks from tens anybody. to hundreds of millions of yes. dollars here. Where the gap right. where the gap exists is in pre-seed to seed, earliest stage, early funding, because that's where it requires a relationship mm-hmm. and trust. 
And there's more of that involved in that investment than there is sales, traction, growth, because it doesn't exist in the earliest stage. So yeah, on the coasts, where the VCs live, the startups that are close to them that can establish a relationship with with these individuals gain that trust. Maybe it's because they've launched a company before. And but at the end of the day, it's it's a rapport and a relationship that's being built by co-location that we're lacking here because we don't have a heavy amount or a significant amount of VCs investing in pre-seed and seed co-located with us in this region. So we have to kind of find ways to build relationships outside of this region. Or again, going back to the startup studio model, like if we're creating new co's and we have the fund in-house, we can kind of get them off their, get them off and running, get them out of the crib. If you want to see, you want to say, however, whatever analogy you want to use, like spin them out, get them to a stage where they are showing traction and now funding, funding with traction is a lot easier. That's right. Well, and you're seriously de-risking them when you take them through this known process of discovery and, and frankly, not having to teach somebody else to do it. I, I've met almost, I've met no entrepreneurs who have gotten that discovery process right, including myself the first time, uh, because that too takes yeah. learning and experience. Look, there's no secret sauce. If there were, if there were a perfect, like, you know, playbook out there, follow these steps mm-hmm. and you will create a, a you know, a hundred million dollar company. Yeah. We'd all be doing it. You're so, right, we would. <laughs> the pretend that this, this imagination we all have of like it, there being this formula that somebody's holding back from us, it's like, it's not there. Like there is no perfect way to do it. And I've seen in the past advice that works for one, not work, that same advice not work for another. And, and it, because there's so many variables in the equation, in the, in the you know, the soup of a startup, mm-hmm. like you don't know what ingredient's going to pop off and make it, make it delicious, right? Like, or make it work. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you and Chris aren't from Bentonville. You're not from Northwest Arkansas. You could have taken this thing and started it anywhere. So you likely would have found backers most anywhere, given your pedigree, given your success and experiences already. So how is Bentonville's entrepreneurial ecosystem and startup community different from other places that Mm. you've been and why here? Yeah. I I mean, my, my personal number one, why here is I think in a lot of other regions, you'd be a small fish in a big pond. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to, to observe your impact. Where we're still in a stage, and not to say that Bentonville right. and Northwest Arkansas isn't just growing exponentially, because I feel it, you know, yeah. as much as you can see it. But there is something to that ability to kind of see your impact and, and feel the impact on a daily basis that's important to me personally. So that's there. And I think, too, it goes back to what I said earlier. There is a real opportunity here. Like there is a, you know, what if you could go back and be, it, it, it's easy to use hindsight, right? And go say like, what if I could go be in Austin in 2008 or 2000, you know, right when the financial crash, what if I moved there? Like, man, what a killing I would have made in Austin on real estate and probably my career because it was such an influx of growth after the Delionaire phase of the nineties, right? Where they had all, you had over 2000 millionaires. I don't know how much you know about the story of Austin, but for 2000 millionaires kind of popped up overnight after the IPO of Dell. And so what does that do to a region? It floods it with capital. Now you've got startups all over the place. Like opportunity would have been ripe and all over. And I think that's kind of the bet we're making here too, alongside that impact story is this is a region that's going to explode. It's going to have its moment. And wouldn't it be fun to be there? Like, wouldn't it be fun? And I've already, I feel like I've already missed the last, you know, before I moved here five years ago or wherever Mm -hmm. it was or four years ago, 
Like before, you know, I missed that previous period. I wish I wish I would have been here for that too. But I'm here now, and I get to see it through its next five, ten year kind of cycle. And I do believe we're going to see, you know, with every with every growth cycle, there are trade offs. There are good and there are bad yes, things. Yes, there are. <laughs> you know, easy things to pick on are like traffic. Like nobody wants more traffic than what we have today, or right. housing pricing getting unreasonable and unreachable for a lot of people. For a lot like, of people, those right. aren't good things. Um, they're good in some ways because. Those who do own homes benefit. Those who are trying to move in struggle. But I mean, it's such a fun time to be here. Like it's, it's, it's a, and we like, it's you, it's Jeff Amarine. It's like, there's a group of people that you kind of see on a regular basis that are, that feel like they're all working. We're, we are all working yeah. towards making something here special, making things happen, helping each other out. I think that too, that feels not that I've never felt other people wanting to support, but it just feels like we have a good mix of the right kind of leadership and talent and, and energy from that group on a regular basis. And, and every time you add a new party to the mix, it feels good. It doesn't feel, doesn't, you don't sense that like there's a, well, then no, this is my party. Like you can't join it. Right. Um, there's no infighting in that kind of community feeling. I don't know. It's, it's, it's got all the things that just feel feel like they're lining up for success. That's right. Here, I don't feel like people are empire building, right? Mm. Uh, and I've seen that in other places where you have these different factions who are empire building and it's diminishing to the whole ecosystem and sometimes completely destructive to the whole ecosystem, which yeah. is, I think, something that we watched play out in some places over the course of, of COVID because once contact stopped in person, that was the pathway to kind of break down the bridge that was already crumbling in some places. Yeah, so yeah. some places I've, I've looked around and some places I believe have taken a step backwards. Yeah. Um, I feel like we accelerated through that because of what's being built here to begin with. Yeah. You know, let's talk about what you just mentioned. You know, you came here five years ago. Gosh, I wish I was here five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, coming here, were you surprised by even then the sheer quality and, and breadth and, and depth or I'll say um, quantity mm. of support available for entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, let's give credit where credit's due. Like the Walton Family Foundation has poured a lot yes. of subsidies into bringing in the endeavors, the e-for-alls. Like, I feel like that's important to call out. And, you know, yes, I was surprised that there were so many plug and play. Like there's just so many different organizations, support organizations, ESOs, or entrepreneurial support organizations mm -hmm. here. And then you've got, yes, you mentioned them twice now, Jeff and Startup Junkie. Like you've, it's, there's a lot here. There's a lot, there's a lot of support groups here ready to empower and enable and accelerate in different kinds of ways. So that's, yeah, that's, it's unusual to see this many for the size we are today, right? And so I, it's all thanks to Walton Family Foundation, I think. And the individuals who are willing to jump into the pond and, you know, make make the water warm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's amazing just in the two years I've been here to watch how far the ecosystem has come. And I felt like there was a lot when I got here two years ago. And to see what's coming, what I know about that is coming. And mm. every single day I'm finding about, I had a meeting earlier today where I was blown away by what I learned, which I absolutely can't tell you right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's exciting. Um, Good on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and, and in verticals where 
today, like the conversation today was about a vertical where today we're, there's some activity, but there's not a lot, mm. but there will be. Yeah. And it's awesome. going to be big. That's awesome. Um, how do you think the startup community and uh, look in your crystal ball mm. and where do you think the startup community and entrepreneurial ecosystem is going here in just the next five years? Mm. Yeah. I think we'll see more mid-sized companies than we have today. Like I love any announcement that looks like, you know, companies moving here um, that are already established, that already have traction. I think the companies we have that have built up traction in the last few years coming out of the, you know, support ecosystem like AcreTrade or an Ox, you know, we, we have these stories that we're going to see, I think, evolve to their next stage. And then behind them, again, starting to fill up that, that, the, the concert ticket card, right? Or yeah. the festival card, right? We got the headliners. We're going to start seeing some of those, the next up and coming bands filling out the card, I think, in the next five years. And I'm a believer that we need, and I want to see, I'm going to say what I want and hopefully manifest it. I want to see a mix of both people that go down the exit path. Like I do think exits are important to the ecosystem. RevUnit had an exit that mm-hmm. you, you called it out. Like there's derivative kind of, activity that happens when I leave and go do a startup studio, when David Baker goes and founds Parable, like people leave and go do other things as a result of an exit. And it empowers that. And then I also want to see those who are in it for the long haul. Like we do need those, we need the stories where it's like, hey, this is a high growth, high accelerating business with lots of traction. And it has no plans to exit. It is just, I, we're going to grow a, a major a major organization here out of this region. You know, a billion dollar organization out of this region. I think we need to see a mix of all of that. And I want to see a mix of all of that in the next five years. And, and I believe we will too. I, there's at least a couple of companies I'm thinking of in this region that potentially are unicorns mm. here in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are definitely companies coming here that are more established and uh, have great, traction. And we're just seeing more of everything, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Sticking with the uh, theme of Bentonville. First, I have to ask, are you a mountain biker yet? No, but my wife is. Okay. In fact, I told her- Somebody uh, in the family always is. Yesterday, it was two days ago, she went and mountain biked. And I told her, I was like, it makes me happy when you mountain bike because I feel like one of us should, because it is an amazing- like. It's, there's an amazing amount of trails here. I hear all the stories. I know plenty of people that mountain bike and love it. And so, yeah, my, my wife does. I play tennis. My thing is tennis okay. and running. Cool. Well, I mean, you're a trail runner, road runner. What kind of runner are you? I like running on the road. Uh, I haven't yeah. been doing much of it this winter because it's just been too cold. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a cold spell. Feels like it's warming back up, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll get, um, I'll get back out there. I've been, I'm tired of the treadmill. It's driving yeah, me nuts. You bet you. So, well, how does having sort of the outdoors at your doorstep in a safe way... Mm. And the other amenities and opportunities in this community, how does it help you and your family? How's that worked out for you and your family and help you live your your best lives? Yeah, I, I, I'm always surprised. Have you met Mike Dunn yet? I don't know if I've met Mike Dunn. So speaking of Dell, former CTO at Dell. Oh, yes. Former CTO exactly at Time Warner. Mm-hmm. Like he moved here because of the mountain biking. That's right. So it always surprises me. Yeah, I get surprised by people like that on occasion. Well, like, oh, you like literally is only here because of the mountain bike trails. Uh-huh. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, getting access to people that are willing to move here because of how great the outdoor scene is. I mean, we like getting out. We like hiking. We like camping. So you got the Buffalo River. You've got Devil's Den. You've got all these great places to go. 
to experience the outdoors. We are very into the outdoors in a lot of different ways. Not spending as much time out there this year as we would have liked. But yeah, I think it's, I don't know, it's how you get back. Like for me, it brings presence, like being outside and connecting. And there's a lot of studies that talk yeah. about, uh, I actually just read a really great book that Chris recommended to me called The Comfort Crisis. And he talks explicitly about the studies that they've done around being outdoors and how it can have an impact on your happiness, uh, on your mental health. So there's op- there's there's empirical evidence out there that suggests that it has a benefit for you. Uh, and it's amazing when you have the kind of amenities, outdoor amenities we have here, the access we have here is just incredible. It, it really is. Um, we are definitely living better lives for, 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 for being here as well. I have to ask y'all as, uh, as we uh, start looking at uh, winding down here, your family's favorite thing to do. Uh, we talked about getting outdoors, favorite thing or places to go here in Bentonville. Okay. Whether it's outdoors, indoors, whatever. I mean, guilty pleasure food, Wright's Barbecue all day. We'll go there on a regular basis. Pizzeria Ruby and hmm. Johnson. If you haven't been, go check that out. I've heard about it. Now we're just doing local food p- plugs. But yeah. I mean, that's honestly, like we love, we love good food. And my wife is an amazing cook. So that's a big part of our lives. I would say that, yeah. I mean- if you're, if you're looking for things we do in Bentonville or in the region, it's like that stuff. Other than that, we're doing like board games and cool. Like I said before, camping and other things like that. Absolutely, your date nights with your wife. I'm I'm making a list from okay. everybody else. Yeah. Date nights uh, with your wife. What do y'all like doing? We have. We'll go to dinner like anybody. Yeah. There's a. This is. I'm going to offer. So one of the things that I've learned through my like therapy life, uh, through. Uh, a men's group that I attended is this connecting practice. And so we'll fairly periodically, uh, I wouldn't call it a date night exactly, but like periodically we will do this check-in of like highs and lows for the week is in that list. Um, holding space for anything you've been hold, like anything you haven't talked about that's been lingering in the back of your mind. We'll do exercises. Like, this is going to sound cheesy, but like you just stare at each other, like you do eye contact yeah. and try to speak the first thing that comes to mind. Like you try to keep a fluid conversation going. I think it's called circling. There's like books on it, usually with larger groups. But anyway, we'll have that kind of session on a periodic basis. And it helps us reconnect when there's like, I mean, life is full of distractions, right? When kids work, all the different activities you got. Like, so for us, that's a big help. That's cool. As we start getting down to the wrap up phase here, I do have to ask my, uh, I think the, the, story that the question I ask on every episode, which is tell me a story. And what I'm looking Uh, for here is a hashtag because Bentonville story, something mm. that could only happen here describes the essence of this place. Ooh. Yeah. I, Ooh, that's a hard one. I mean, I think Blake street's an exceptional place. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, there's, I I saw, I was hanging out with uh, Stan and April who I know, you know, we were having a breakfast meeting for something and there was Jewel. Jewel was inside. In of course. There, like having <laughs> breakfast with somebody. I'm like, oh, isn't that Jewel? Like only here. There's those moments where you're like, what are these famous people doing here? Like sure. uh, that happened for me on occasion or even I see them on Instagram or something where I'm like, and then you know why they're here. They're here for some, some activity related to Walmart, Sam's Club or, or something else or something connected to, you know, an, another major project happening in the sure. region. But like, I always find that fascinating because it is such a, it's still just a small town. Like at the end of the, like we're, we have mid city sized amenities and maybe small town values and small town population at the end of yeah. the day. So it's kind of wild who you can see here on occasion. 
it is pretty amazing the density of uh, folks that show up here that you don't expect. Yeah. And this is totally random. Don't know why it just popped into my head at this moment. We probably also have the highest density of, of uh, you know, interesting vehicles like the Pete Mobile and, and Wienermobile <laughs> and so on that, yes. that visit here uh, as well. That's right. Let's start wrapping up with some, we'll do these rapid fire to the extent that we can, given the okay. time we have left. What's the weirdest advice you've ever been given? Ooh. I remember I had a boss once that asked me to not look for ways to change things. And it was after I had gone through a series of, <laughs> of like recommendations of how we should change things. I don't know if that's weird, but I, I, I yeah. Yeah, that's weird advice, especially uh, uh, has to be weird for um, an entrepreneur to receive oh, yeah, that this advice. Is, yeah, whether pre, they know their one yet or not. Pre-entrepreneurial days where I just, yeah, I liked, I'm, all, I'm a believer of different isn't always better, but better is always different. Yep. So you've got to be willing to try new stuff. You got to try new processes, new ways of new ways of working. So you bet. What's a common piece of advice that you wish that people would quit giving new founders? Oh man, yeah. I'm going to pick on the fact that I we do have a lot of founders that reach out to us, like existing entrepreneurs, and I and I want that to continue. This is not mm-hmm. a knock on that at all. I would I we love giving our time when we can, but I think they get a lot of positive feedback from friends and family. If I if I could look for one thing out there to change, it would be that. Like if I could stop one piece of feedback, like give real feedback. Like don't just prop somebody up or, or give them. We like to tell people what they want to hear. I want to tell you that you have a great idea, but in reality, like, I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) Uh, And then we tend to be the first ones to share some maybe uh, constructive criticism. Um, So I I wish that weren't the case. I wish we didn't have to be, be that all the time, but it is what it is. And if I could change it, I would. Yeah. I, I, you and me both, I I saw a great cartoon once. Uh, Maybe it was in, uh, you ever read the book, Talking to Humans? No, no, I haven't. Oh, it's a great book. It's all about doing discovery. It's a very short book. Okay. Uh, I'll send you a free copy of it, actually. Okay. Um, I have a, a free PDF copy that they let me distribute to folks sometimes. Okay. I'll check it out. Uh, but I think there's a cartoon in there. I'm probably going to mess it up. It has a, clearly a grandmother and their, you know, grandchild, older grandchild there presenting to them. And she's like, Oh, that's great, honey. I've been wanting a box with cards in it that I can put phone numbers on. (laughs) It's the best idea. (laughs) What's your favorite way to give back to our community, whether that's related to startups or something else? Yeah, I know. It's it's when people reach out, like we we really do try to make time to offer feedback, offer help where we can. So yeah, that, that is our favorite way to like, and so I repeat, like if you're out there listening and you have a startup concept and you want to talk to a studio to talk through how, like how we process, how we would think about that problem, mm-hmm. how we would process it, how we would validate it. Like we are very open to that and try to do it as often as we can. So yeah, I, that's our favorite way to get back. Like I, I don't see this as just about us building our own companies, but also can we raise the other boats with the tide alongside us? Yeah, you bet. Okay, next question then is, What's the best way to reach you or <laughs> Cartwheel Studios? You hit me up Studio. at Josh <laughs> at Cartwheel.studio is my email. So reach me there, reach me on LinkedIn. Again, we're happy to help. And I, you know, if it's not me, it's somebody else on the team who, who will spend time with you and kind of work through your idea if that's what you want. Uh, we will consider ideas for the studio. We have yet to kind of pull the trigger on any, any external ideas getting pulled mm-hmm. into, the, into the studio but always open, always looking to, to talk to potential co-founders too, just to say it. Like if, if entrepreneurship is something you haven't, you 
you've wanted for yourself, but have never really seen the path for yourself, like that's who we want to help. So get, get in our network. Awesome. I've got one last question for you. Just what's something that I should have asked you that I did not ask? Oh man. Let's see. That's a good one. What is, oh, what are we doing in 2023? Yeah. What are you doing in 2023? What are we doing in 2023? We're trying to expand the studio. We're trying to solve the the, the lack of fund problem. So we've, we're working through some things there that hopefully we'll have positive updates to share in the next few months. Uh, we got some creative paths to getting there to trying to convert to a venture studio, which we never touched on and what the difference is. Oh yeah, please. Let's do that. So if, if a startup studio is ideation, validation, you know, form and fund, assuming you have an internal fund for that first funding. A, a venture studio also has what's called a, you can call it a sidecar fund, but it has a part of it that looks just like a VC. Okay. And it typically has that to do follow-on funding for its own startups. So if I gave, I create startup company ABC, I give it 500K in pre-seed funding, that's a startup studio. My, if I'm a venture studio, I have a follow-on fund that's managed by a fund manager, and they can do the next round of funding for that startup. So let's say they go and do their seed round of a million and a half, and the follow-on fund might be, hey, we're going to put in a half a million into that million and a half round, which helps the fundraising process. To, you know, when you're going out to raise and you can say, hey, I've already got half a million committed from this fund. So that's, those, that's the main difference between the two. Love it. That, that was very helpful. Well, Josh, thank you so much for spending time uh, with me and with our audience today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I love the work that you're doing uh, with Cartwheel and that you're giving some folks some real opportunities to found companies and creating some really cool companies. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. You bet. Hey, thanks to our Bentonville Beacon audience. We really appreciate you. And without the show, uh, without you, this show would not be possible. So please keep coming back, share the show, however you may, whether it's through email, text, or uh, social media with your friends and colleagues. And come back to hear more about Bentonville and its leaders and this place where you can have more of what you want and less of what you don't. As always, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and visit BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com to see all of our episodes and to learn more. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.